the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And I always want to remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great holiday yesterday, got some time to rest and do some fun things and remember those who sacrifice their lives in service for our country. Sometimes we forget the reason for the holidays. And this is one of the more important ones. I think about what would have happened if D-Day never would have been successful or, or if the Battle of the Bulge or any of the other famous battles, people lost their lives. They risked their lives so that we can enjoy the freedom to turn on a radio program like this or to go to church this past Sunday and worship the Lord. Uh, that all came at a great cost. So um, for those of you who have family members that were lost in wars. God bless you. Thank you very much for your sacrifice. And we pray that all is well with you, at least as well as it can be. Let's get to the program. We've got some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Um, this first one is really an important question. It's from Janet. Um and she says, Pastor Ron, I hope it's okay that I still consider you my spiritual father. Now, this is a woman who moved away from our church a very long time ago and lives in another state. She says, uh, there is a teaching pastor and others who I fully trust to be born-again believers that hold to the belief that the universe was created 13.8 billion years ago with the Big Bang. Now, Janet, that's the first I've heard of 13.8 billion. I hear billions or billions and billions, but uh, I've never heard of a number that specific. Uh, she continues, life then began 3.8 billion years ago with a single-cell organism. Dinosaurs were destroyed uh, along with everything else 66 million years ago. Isn't it interesting? Uh, when a meteor struck the earth, God created man somewhere in there. It really seems ridiculous uh, that I'm even questioning this, except for the fact that I feel these people are very grounded believers. No one else seems to have a problem. And she's talking about no one else in the church that she's attending seems to have a problem with it. I've searched the web, and there are believers saying, wait a minute, from what I understand, unlike Darwin's evolution theory, 
they're saying, yes, God created all things, but it started with the Big Bang. And yes, God created man, but that wasn't until a few thousand years ago. This makes no sense to me, scientifically or scripturally. How can grounded Christians believe this? Am I missing something? Is this a secondary issue? I should just say we will agree to disagree, or are there more serious implications, and I should run away as far from this as possible? Um, And then she indicates here, she said, uh, uh, I know this, but I feel like I'm almost being shamed when she is addressing people at her church. Uh, Just by asking the questions, I'm also heartbroken that another church has gone off the deep end. We've been accused of church hopping because we start going to church and then find they're apologizing for centuries of oppression upon homosexuals or offering studies on social justice and critical race theory. Uh, And now this. Um, Janet, this this kind of stuff, as, as you know me because you know me a long time, this kind of stuff breaks my heart. These things are so important. Now, I want to be clear. We've had evolution, and even as Christian theistic evolution, crammed down our throats from the time we were small. There's a lot of people who are truly saved who just simply haven't gotten to the point yet where they trust the Bible enough to take it at its word. These things are that important. So it's not an essential for being saved, but it is an essential for producing any fruit through our Christian witness. Um, If we don't believe what the Bible says, in the beginning God, if it doesn't mean in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if Genesis 1 through 11 isn't literally true, and by that I mean six days of creation, if it's not literally true that we believe in a young earth theory, meaning six to 10,000 years old, not billions and billions of years old, then we have no ability to pass on our faith to people simply because our faith then becomes meaningless. It makes no sense at all. Um, You know, I I know pastors who teach this drivel, and I I use that word purposely. Uh, And it seems like the more specific we get, like you're 13.8 million years and 3.8 billion years ago and 66 million years ago, it seems like the more specific they get, the smarter they think they sound. But here's the problem with this, and this is why this is so important for all of us as Christians to understand. If Adam and Eve were not the very first two people ever created, and if they weren't created by the the hand of God, the finger of God, literally, specifically, then we don't have a faith. Jesus affirmed Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God created them, man and woman, in his image. Jesus affirmed that. If Adam and Eve weren't responsible for our sin, and and by that I mean um, uh, passing it down, the the sin nature uh, that is, you know, part of humanity, um, then original sin, the doctrine of original sin, makes no sense. If the doctrine of original sin makes no sense, then he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness, Second Corinthians 5.21, the righteousness of God, then that makes no sense. So what I'm saying, and this is what we Christians need to understand, we need to think with our brains, not with what we've been brainwashed by. We need to think if those things aren't true, Again, I repeat, we have no faith. Jesus lied to us. And if Jesus lied, that's a sin. And it means that he who knew no sin actually had sin. And then there's no acceptable sacrifice for our sin. If God used a big bang, you know, the people joke, yeah, I believe in the big bang theory. God said bang. No, creation was spelled out very specifically almost as if the Holy Spirit had a mission to make sure we understood that 24 hours equals a day and six days were all that was required to create everything that we see. In the New Testament, we're told uh, in the Gospel of John that everything that was made was made by Jesus. He's the one who said, let there be light, and there was. If we don't believe that, then our faith has no foundation at all. And so if we can't trust Jesus, we have no Savior. If we 
don't believe in a literal creation account, Genesis 1 through 11, if we don't believe in that, then there's nothing that's worth believing in. So the idea that, well, you know, God just used evolution or God used the Big Bang Theory flies in the face of what our Bible tells us if we don't believe the literal Genesis account. Then what happens to us is our faith falls apart. And if the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, that's what Paul writes, if that can't be trusted, then nothing can be trusted. So the idea that churches are teaching this is a blight on the church. It really is a blight on the church. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that we've been brainwashed, as I said, by science. But but we have to remember, all science that starts with anything other than in the beginning God begins with the assumption that there is no God. These are unbelievers, atheists. And they're looking for evidence. How many times in the history of our world has what was commonly accepted factual science been proven wrong when a new set of facts came up? God's never changed. His word never changes. And so what we've got to do is we've got to believe. Are we going to believe atheists? Men who hate God, who deny his existence, are we going to believe a theory that makes no sense at all? Are we going to believe that just because some guy with a PhD behind his name decided that's the way it is? Or are we going to believe God's perfect, inerrant word? We've got to make that decision. We have, I repeat, no faith at all. If, in fact, Adam and Eve weren't the first two people made directly by the finger of God, uh, then Adam is not our federal head. He could not have passed his sin nature to humanity. Jesus would not need to have been born of a virgin because there would be no sin nature. You can see how our faith just crumbles with this. Now, what bothers me the most about your email, Janet, is that you say you... You, you feel, when you bring this up, you feel almost like you're being shamed. Don't take it personal. You're being shamed by people who have no information. They've done no study. They haven't wrestled with the questions, the what-ifs. Um, and I share your heart break over the churches that have gone off the deep end. I had a, a, a previous Calvary Chapel pastor, uh, a man who... Uh, I believed to be born again, um, but but he came to the position where he simply could not accept that Adam and Eve were real human beings. And if that's not true, then as I repeat, Jesus lied to us. And he could never get over that. And basically his faith was shipwrecked. So these are the things that we've got to understand. And when I see churches that are falling off the deep end in this kind of stuff, um, you know, they're misleading people that God loves, people for whom Jesus died. And there is a big price to pay for that. When churches are no longer teaching the Bible, uh, they can talk about social justice. They can talk about critical race theory. They can talk about uh, accepting LGBTQ people. They can do all of that, but they do so without any basis any foundation whatsoever for their position other than, well, this feels better or this is emotional. So, Janet, hold your ground. Stand firm. Don't worry about what people say or what they think. Um, You stand with Jesus, and if you just pay attention, you'll feel his smile in these last days. This is the kind of nonsense that we're expected to embrace as Christians just to get along in the world that we live in. Well, we were never instructed to get along in the world. We were instructed to stand firm in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Janet, thank you for that. Sorry you're going through that. Here's a question from Scott from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I was wondering why Christians in the Jerusalem church would have criticized Peter at all in Acts chapter 11. It says that the circumcised believers, those, and this is me inserting in Scott's question, those are the, the, the Jewish converts to Christianity who wanted Christianity to be Jewish. 
They wanted the festivals. They wanted circumcision. They wanted Sabbath worship. In other words, they wanted just to take Judaism, brand it with another name, but continue in the process of of uh, a religious observance uh, the, the way that they did when they were Jewish. Back to his question. Uh, it says the circumcised believers called him out. As you mentioned, Peter was a rock star in the church at that time. I can't believe he was questioned. I mean, in Acts 6, Philip went and evangelized to Samaritans. In Acts 8, evangelized to the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, all these people, I suppose, were all uncircumcised. Why the distinction? The distinction here, Scott, is simple. Now, when you get to Acts chapter 11, about nine years has passed since the falling of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Now, here's the problem. Old habits die hard. The things that we're comfortable with. I've had Catholics call in this program and say, I'm a born-again Christian now, but I still like praying the rosary. I still like praying to saints. It still makes me feel warm and fuzzy. It makes me feel like my prayers are being heard. Um, You know, old habits die hard. And these are people, Scott, who are unwilling to be changed. In the Jerusalem church, at this point in Acts chapter 11, the church was entirely Jewish, and they liked it that way. And then with the inclusion of Samaritans, who Jews hated, and then later with the inclusion of Gentiles, whom Jews hated even more. This was sort of a line in the spiritual sand, and they just, you know, this is too much. So Peter, who was only being obedient... And I actually studied Acts chapter 11 just this past Sunday. Um, um, Peter, though a rock star in the ancient world, I mean, he was the the one that uh, far more famous than Saul of Tarsus was at the time. Um, uh, Even Peter, even Peter was pressured to conform to keep our faith Jewish. Now, later Paul and Peter would sort of have it out in a godly way and come to the conclusion that Paul was right and Peter was wrong. But but old habits die hard. Prejudices and biases die hard. I said in my study on Sunday that just because we get saved, it doesn't mean that all of our prejudices, the things that we hate, the people that drive us crazy, even though uh, theoretically we've changed, we, we're, we're new inside. Um, those things don't go away. These are things that we Christians have to agree with God to review on his terms. You know, I said, Scott, in, in the message on Sunday that as a Christian, you know, it was at Antioch where where Christians were first called Christians. As a Christian means Christ's man or Christ's woman. Uh, as a Christian, we have to agree with our Christ. And this is something, Scott, that I believe most Christians don't ever really seriously consider. When we get saved, we no longer have any right to disagree with Jesus. We no longer have any right. We've got a Bible. He gave it to us, and we've got to agree with it. If God says not to be unequally yoked, then as a Christian, it's our responsibility, and we are accountable to say, okay, if you don't want me to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, then I'm going to get rid of this relationship because, Jesus, I love you more than I love this relationship. If the Bible says um, that being drunk is a sin, as a believer, we've got to say, um, well, then I can't get drunk. It's that simple. Uh, We don't do that because we like to hold on to those carnal habits that we have um, and Scott, just as evidence, um, here we are in 2023, and uh, look at all the Christians get divorced, even though God says don't do it. God hates divorce. The Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit writing through Paul, says that there are only two reasons for divorce, and yet we get divorced for all kinds of reasons, because we want to be happy, we want to feel good. So the idea that people have been rebelling against what the Word of God says or what, uh, in Acts chapter 11, what the apostles uh, were were teaching, uh, it's not new. So the reality is bias, prejudice, hatred, those things die hard. Loving your enemies, not defending yourself, all the things that are hard for us as humans Again, I say, we who are believers, born-again Christians, 
we are obligated to agree with our Christ. And that's a process that, frankly, takes way too much time. It ought to be simple. You know, one of the, the, the greatest gifts, God, that Scott ever gave me. I'm sorry. One of the greatest gifts, Scott, that God ever gave me. Um, was was an understanding that when I got saved, he was now in charge of my life. It wasn't faith. I, I didn't really have any faith then. I was a brand new believer. I didn't know anything about Jesus. But I understood that if he had the authority to forgive me of my sins, he then became the sole authority figure in my life. And since that was the case, I had no right to have an opinion especially if that opinion contradicted his clear teaching. Uh, I had to do what he said. Now, I didn't do it perfect, but I wanted to. And when I didn't, it broke my heart. So uh, that's why they called him out. He he was threatening, Peter was threatening their understanding of of their religion and the idea to them that God hated religion, it was much easier for them to offer sacrifices. It was much easier for them to um, um, celebrate festivals, to, 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 to count on being circumcised, uh, to depend on being descendants of Abraham. Jesus dealt with that a lot in the Gospels. Um, rather than pursue personal holiness, it was just easier to do things their way and pretend that all was well. That all was well. So, Scott, that's exactly what was going on then and here 2,000 years later. Things haven't changed much at all. Thank you for the question, Scott. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Jill from our email inbox. Um, she says, could you please explain 2 Corinthians 6 two to me? What does Isaiah mean by in the time of my favor? In another translation, it says in an acceptable time. Uh, Jill, in, in another translation, it says at just the right time. Uh, and then she says, I understand the overall meaning. I just don't understand the particular point that Isaiah and Paul are making with the passage. Um, Jill, one of the things we have to do, always look at context. Remember, at the end of chapter 5, Paul has said, uh, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And there's no chapter and verse divisions uh, in in the original manuscripts. The, the, they they're not inspired. So he the the reader would have kept reading, and it says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And then scriptures quoted to back up this statement. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. And then Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. So the idea, and he's, he's, he's trying to correct and exhort the Corinthians to get busy doing the work that God saved them to do. So when do we begin carrying the message that God handed off to us? The answer is right now. Now, this Greek word for vain is a word kinos. And it means to be a vessel which contains nothing. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Instead of being a vessel that contains nothing. And that's the reality. If, we're, if we refuse to carry this message of reconciliation to the world, uh, we actually contain nothing. And that means we literally have no value to God on earth. Now, he still loves us. He still lives in us. So this isn't a question about salvation. But but there's no value. We're, we're not doing the work. It's like we're spiritually lazy. And Jesus spoke a lot about those who were spiritually lazy. Um, if you're not responding to his love, his favor, um, with our own love, with our own obedience, um, then we really have no value on earth. We're just taking up space. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And um, uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation is exactly um, what Paul is talking about in the context of this passage. And it's our responsibility to carry that message everywhere we go. This doesn't mean we're saved by works. Paul, in fact, uses his own ministry, Jill, to uh, as an example. He says in the next verse, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Um, that's how valuable the ministry was to Paul. He was aware and concerned about how his ministry appeared to others. 
He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to the weak. I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I did this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This doesn't mean that Paul was wishy-washy or that he kept changing his message. What it means is that he considered his message of reconciliation to be so valuable that he did everything possible to make sure that the maximum number of people heard it. He didn't want any conduct on his part to be cause for someone not to listen to this message. He wasn't a man pleaser. He just wanted to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and if he if he could do that, then his ministry uh, from his perspective was completely successful. So, Jill, that's all he means there. It doesn't mean anything else. Anytime you hear the year of my favor, the time of my favor, Isaiah predicted that moment. Paul was using Isaiah to say that now that moment, the exact time, the right time, has been completely and utterly fulfilled. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Good question, Jill. Thank you very, very much. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. Phone lines are quiet. We would love your questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show. Remember, we'd love your phone calls, 340-9585. That's area code 210 or toll-free 877 630-KSLR. Here's an anonymous question from our email inbox. Here she says, I've heard the term flesh used by a lot of pastors and Bible teachers. What is it really referring to? Honestly, I get a little uncomfortable when I hear it. You know, anonymous, one of the things that I don't like to do is use um, Christianese terms. And and I understand how this could make somebody uncomfortable. When the term flesh is used, and it is properly used, um, you know, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, um, he, he talks about a carnal church. So so there's there's other words that are used to mean the same things. Flesh, carnality, or carnal, worldly is another one. And all it refers to is men and women who say they're Christians, uh, I said earlier, but disagree with Christ, um, and they they make their conversation, their lives are lived in a, in a carnal manner. Um, you know, when you see a Christian who uh, is using foul language, when you see a Christian out partying and doing crazy things, um, that's the kind of behavior that we were supposed to get rid of when we got saved. And so when we hear um, um, flesh used by Bible teachers, that's all it's referring to. Uh, you know, um, Paul and I, we're, we're on guard against our flesh. So we're always sort of got, got our, our Holy Spirit alarm going um, when, when we get angry or when um, something is frustrating. Um, we, we want to fight our flesh. Uh, the Bible says we're to make no provision for the flesh. So it's something that we have to kill every day. The flesh just is the old dead you rather than the new you. You know, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he, and I will add she, is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The flesh symbolizes the old behavior. You know, we hold on to petty jealousies. We uh, hold on to unforgiveness. Um, we we are unkind to people. In other words, we're not walking in the power of the Spirit, nor are our lives demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Then that term flesh or carnal 
is appropriately used. So um, understand where they're coming from, and you don't need to get uncomfortable when you hear it. It actually is a term that's used in the Bible. It's just the old you. You know, Jesus said to be his disciple, we need to pick up our cross daily. And the cross was an instrument of execution, so something has to die. Well, what needs to die, Anonymous, is our flesh. The old you has to die so that the new you, raised in the power of the Holy Spirit, can be put on display for everybody to see and bring glory and honor to the Lord. First uh, Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I discipline my body, and that's the flesh, and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's what, what's going on there, Anonymous, and it's nothing other than a, a very simple um, description for um, the carnality of our old lives, which Christians ought to put away. Thank you for the question. appreciate it. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ray. I have a perplexing question for you, and I I know you've mentioned uh, that the Bible has an answer for whatever is in our mind, in our heart, correct or no? Yes, that's correct. Okay. What can you tell me about Stonehenge, um, and there are several other places that uh, around different countries that uh, have these megaliths, you know, huge things that how could they possibly have been <laughs> quarried and moved and put up? And I just, I'll just uh, listen on the, on the radio. Okay. Thank you, Ray. It's really good to hear from you. Miss you. Um, you know, things things that man does, you know, uh, Stonehenge is just one example where he gave, but but even more amazing uh, is the pyramids. Um, you, th- you think about the pyramids. I mean, these, these are tombs and um, they're lavishly um, uh, cared for. And, and the, the I mean, it's just impossible. Um, uh, Easter Island is another. Um, th- these things are just impossible for us to imagine that they could be created by men without the aid of computers, without the aid of modern equipment. I mean, we can't build things even now with all of the advantages we have. We can't build things now that are as precise as the pyramids are. So how did they do it? Um, we'll find the answers to those questions, right when we get to heaven. Um, but but it's an amazing thing what man can do. Um, remember, we're the greatest thing that God ever created. The, the, the highlight of his work, Ephesians 2.10, makes that clear. So man has always been capable of amazing things. And how they did it, um, uh, you know, those are the kind of things that we'll be able to, to understand completely when we get to heaven. But it, it they, they, they weren't a result of... UFOs or space people, um, uh, these are things, all of them, they're man-made or created over centuries and centuries of um, just exposure to weather. Um, so, so again, the, the answers aren't always specific. We're always given the answer. There are specific answers, of course, in the Bible, but, but, but some answers are covered in principle. Um, and some we just have to marvel and say, how did they build those pyramids? How is it even possible? Um, and yet we know that there were men in the ancient world that were unbelievably gifted builders. Herod, believe it or not, was one of those people. I mean, he was worldwide famous for his ability to design and build things. And of course, uh, he rebuilt the temple um, that had been destroyed um, uh, only to be destroyed again in 70 A.D. Uh, but, uh, Ray, that's that's the the only kind of answer. The Bible isn't going to tell us that 2 plus 2 is 4. He gives us the brain to figure it out. And in the same way, um, he just enabled man to do it. I'll give you one sort of example exemption at the same time. Um, when God instructed that the tabernacle be built in the wilderness... 
I mean, remember these um, the 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 wilderness Jews. I mean, they had no expertise. They they were builders in uh, when they were slaves in Egypt. But the tabernacle uh, built in the wilderness later the same thing with the temple. But this tabernacle was um, built with such detail, with such detail. And God said it has to be exactly according to the instructions because God was giving us a picture of heaven. And they built it. Now, how did they build it? Well, God chose a man named Bezalel, filled him with his Holy Spirit. Not the same way you and I are filled with the Spirit, Ray. But he filled him with his Holy Spirit and and literally enabled him to do the work exactly according to the plans that were given to Moses. Good question, Ray. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Louis asks a question that we get a lot here on the radio program. He says, why does God allow bad things to happen? Um, Louis, he only allows things. Now, God is never the cause of bad things. Um, certainly there are times in history where God has has used natural disasters, where God has uh, brought judgment upon his own rebellious people by using bad people to do that. Um, so, so we know that stuff happened. But God allowed it to happen in judgment. But most of the time, God just doesn't stop things from happening. Now, one of the things we have to remember, Louis, is that we live in a fallen world. Um, You know, even now when something bad happens, people say, well, a hurricane, it was an act of God. You know, hurricanes never would have existed had man not sinned. When somebody shoots up a school or when somebody shoots up a mall. I guess we had in Florida this past weekend uh, another mass shooting. I think nine people were shot. I don't know how many were killed, but some were. Um, uh, Why does God allow that? God just didn't stop it, but we can't blame God for it because God didn't do it. These are the consequences of a sinful, fallen world. And when bad things happen in this world, Louis, it's because Men and women are given completely over to sin. This is a world that right now is God is sovereign and ultimately he's in control. But right now, Satan is described as a little G God of this world or the prince of the air. And the bad things that happen really are are initiated by him. And he uses sinful men to do his bidding. I can promise you, Louis, that whenever you see somebody in a mass shooting um, or flying airplanes into into towers. When you see those things, those are demonically inspired events. And God just doesn't stop them. Now, we're told that things are getting worse before they get better. I think the thing that we have to remember, Louis, is that a time is coming, and that time is coming soon when God is going to stop it all. He's going to send his son back He's going to rule and reign in perfect righteousness. And there will be no tolerance at all for sin. Sin will be judged immediately during the millennial reign of Christ on earth. We will be used in some way that we're not given details about, Louis, to rule and reign along with Christ. So how that is, I don't know for sure. What we're going to be doing is not given to us in detail. But until then, bad things are going to continue to happen period, because that's what we're told. Romans chapter 1 talks about uh, even creation is groaning, awaiting its reconciliation to God. Um, The earth wasn't supposed to be like this. It was supposed to be perfect. When sin entered the world, these are when the bad things happen. But never, Louis, never blame God for bad things happening. You know, we have the book of Job. And Louis, it might be good for you to read the book of Job. The entire book really is about one question. Why does God allow something bad to happen to somebody who's good, especially somebody who is as good as Job? And Job asks that question. His friends come to ungodly conclusions about the answer to those questions. But God never answers the question. He never answers the question. Bad things happen on this world because this world is decaying and falling apart. And it really is that simple. And God gets no blame because the world he created was perfect. It's Adam who blew it, 
And before we get too mad at Adam, we keep blowing it even now, knowing what we know. Every time we willfully sin against God, we keep blowing it and contributing to things. You know, the Bible says that at some point this earth is going to completely melt away. And the new heaven and new earth is going to be necessary. Then again, we will be in that pristine place where everything is perfect as it was supposed to be. So Adam messed it up for us, but we continue to keep messing it up. Here's a question anonymously. Is it wrong for unbelievers to come to church? No. In fact, we want unbelievers to come to church anonymous. And the reason we want them to come to church is so that they can hear the gospel. You know, every time um, we have church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we issue an invitation uh, for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, The people here at Calvary Chapel, they know I've exhorted this for 28 years. I've exhorted this over and over and over and over again. I want them to bring unbelievers to church. And um, because they do, we see people getting saved. We see family members getting saved. So, no, unbelievers need to come to church. And uh, we shouldn't judge them if their attitude is bad. You know, if you're an unbeliever who wants to hear about Jesus and holiness. But you see, that's where the Holy Spirit can use the Word of God to hit home in the hearts of those people. And that's why we want them to come to church. So I hope that makes sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I'll talk more about this on tomorrow's program, but just very quickly, a reminder, this Wednesday, that's tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night here at Calvary Chapel, instead of our Old Testament study through Ezra, uh, we're going to talk, Paul and I are going to share uh, what God has done um, in those times when we've seen God's hand move on our behalf. You know, in Ezra, the the theme of Ezra seems to be the gracious hand of my God was upon me. He recognizes the hand of God in everything that he's done. And since tomorrow is our 28th birthday as a church, it was 1995, May 31st, uh, where I first opened a Bible with people in front of me and said, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And we've been doing that same thing for 28 years. Well, tomorrow, Paul and I are going to share our hearts um, and just sort of um, share what God has done uh, in and through our lives um, and how uh, we've got where we are. So that's tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Let's go to Bilverde and talk with Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you. Hey, uh, Pastor, I'm actually on the road, so uh, I'll try to make this quick and I'll just listen. Uh, I was at a group meeting the other day, and the subject of demon possession came up, and uh, somebody uh, who knew somebody that cast a demon out of someone. Now... This gal, this friend said, she said that uh, the, the phrase that's, or the scripture that's used in the gospel, where, where the apostles were frustrated because they couldn't cast out the demons like Jesus was doing or had, been, had done. And the scripture says something to the effect of, you know, only these type come out with prayer and fasting. She said that the fasting part was added to the scripture at some point later and it, it's really not true that that you can have to be demanded to do something on our, on our end other than um, just stand on God's word and you know speak to the demon and say hey be gone so do you know anything about that I've never heard that before out of all the 39 years I've been saved <laughs> is there a way to verify that or do you know anything about that scripture? Yeah, I, I, I can answer your question, Greg. Thanks very much. Drive safely, please, while you're listening. Um, the, the person you're talking to probably goes to a, 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 a prosperity church, a name it and claim it church, uh, and, and she, there, there's no standing for that. The prayer and fasting, fasting was not added later. But we have to remember the Jewishness of the passage. Jesus' ministry was Jewish, and he was speaking to Jews, his disciples. And here's what was going on. You remember Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he came down from the mountain, uh, they encountered the other nine disciples, 
um, sort of in an argument with the Jewish exorcists about casting out a demon, and and they couldn't cast a demon out, and they were surprised. And the reason they were surprised is because uh, they had done that before. Remember, when Jesus sent them out two by two, and later when he sent out 70 disciples, they came back rejoicing uh, because even the demons uh, were subject to their authority. Um, and so they thought, sure, I can do it. So when Jesus, James, Peter, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Jewish exorcist trying to challenge Jesus' disciples, it said, well, oh, this, this boy is demon-possessed. Um, see if you can cast a demon out. And the poor boy's father just wanted his son to be saved. He wanted his son to be okay. And uh, And so they were casting him out. Whatever method they were using, it didn't work. And they assumed, Greg, this is important. They assumed because they did it before, they can do it again. So when Jesus says this kind, he's talking about stronger demons. We know that there are different levels of demons, and some of them are very, very powerful. Uh, Other demons, not as powerful. Now, from our perspective, they're all powerful. But um, he just says, you've got a different level of demon here, and you weren't prepared. And here's uh, sort of a New Testament understanding of what he was saying to Jews. Every time you go to battle, you better have fresh fire. Old weapons won't work. And we would say we need to be filled with the Spirit every single time. Because I've cast out demons before, doesn't mean I'm going to cast them out again unless I have a fresh filling of God's Spirit. So the power of God has to be active. And too often there are people who are living compromised lives and they want the same power and it's not going to happen. Jesus said, no, no, this is a different kind. This kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And again, the the translation for us would be, um, you better get a fresh infilling of God's Spirit before you go cast out a demon. Very quickly, Greg, um, casting out demons, dealing with people who are demon-possessed is is the least favorite thing any Christian should ever do. It's ugly. It's painful. Uh, the warfare is fierce and often physical. It's just something that we, we shouldn't go looking for. And, and, and people in our church culture, we get way too casual about this. Jesus would say, no, you need to be full of the Spirit. You need to be obedient. Power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit comes when we're obedient. And, and before you go into the ring with somebody who's demon-possessed, you better be sure that you're equipped with all of the power that's available to you. Good question, Greg. Thank you very, very much. Uh, let's go to Joseph from San Antonio on line two. Joseph, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Thank you, sir. And, and uh, I, uh, you had another person that called in a few moments ago, and you all said something about that you like sinners to come by. And, and uh, please understand, I'm not going to say any names. I don't like that kind of thing. And I'm not going to uh, point out any church. But I've been troubled by something that's really been haunting me since last Sunday. We've gone to the same church for well over 20 years. And this last Sunday, something was said, and the whole sermon was on, you might say. And I've been really troubled by it. In fact, I've been thinking about, who could I talk to about this? I don't know anybody I could. And you happen to mention somebody that, so I called you, and I'd like to hear your opinion. And what it is, is this, is... uh, it was said that if you're uh, a person that's a, and he was quoting uh, uh, Corinthians, mm-hmm. and it said uh, if you're a, uh, a covetous and you're living in sin, you're a sinner, we don't need you, and uh, don't make me exercise church discipline on you. Mm-hmm. I, want, I just want you to leave here and do it quietly and don't come back. Now, that has troubled me and other people I know since Sunday. Yeah. And I actually, and I've talked about people, I mean, well, we talked afterwards, and I guess I was in shock. We've been in the same church over 20 years, and uh, I don't know how to deal with that, and I didn't know who I could talk to, and it's just yep. coincidental, you could just about a sinner, so would you help me out? <laughs> I can, Joseph, and uh, time is short, so maybe I'll come back and address this at the top of the program tomorrow if you tune in as well. Uh, I'm going to give your pastor the benefit of the doubt. Uh, if he's teaching Corinthians, what was happening in Corinth was that there was sin that everybody knew about and that sin was being covered up. 
And Paul said, why are you allowing this sin in your midst? He says, as for me, I've already judged such a man and handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That's all. So that his flesh would die. Now, we also know when we get to Second Corinthians that the discipline worked because the man repented and came back to faith in Jesus Christ. So what your pastor, I think, was probably talking about was people who are willfully in sin, um, rebelling against God. They're listening to the Word of God week after week after week, and they're making no changes in that sinful lifestyle. Uh, At some point, you have to go to these professing believers. We're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about people who say, I'm a Christian, and, and, and at some point, we have to exercise church discipline on them. And the Bible, Matthew chapter 18, gives us a, um, a way to do that. We're to go to them privately um, if they don't respond. And I don't mean right away, but we give them a little bit of time. Then we take a couple of other people with us and we go in meekness and in love and again confront them with their sin issue. And uh, and then if they don't listen to that, then the church has to get involved in, in church discipline as exercise. There's no value in letting professing Christians continue in sin because their heart is getting harder and harder and harder all the time. So I'm going to assume, uh, Joseph, that that's what your pastor was talking about. If if that doesn't seem the case to you, uh, you've been at that church 20 years. Sit down and have a conversation with your pastor and let him explain what he was meaning. There's no value. Sinners, we want sinners, but we don't want pretenders in church and want them to be comfortable. Hey, great question. You've been listening to the Word of Standing for Life. i got to get off the air. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.